When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. The flat season, 1975, gets underway. The two-year-olds, looking too delicate on their toothpick legs to carry Mindstone, are getting their racecourse baptism. There's a great surge of Irish pride when an Arkell or a Ten-Up wins a gold cup at Cheltenham. Some degree of chauvinism is evident when Pele competes in a show-jumping world championship. But the Irish horse that counts in terms of big money and valuable exports is the blood horse, the thoroughbred who wins his races on the flat at the Curra or Epsom or Longchamp, and when his racing days are over, goes on to stud to perpetuate his line. But what is an Irish horse? With air travel, breeding has become international, and there's a danger that the distinctive qualities of the Irish animal may be submerged. Captain Tim Rogers runs the early stud in Clonsilla, possibly the largest in Europe, and I asked him what he regarded as an Irish horse. Well, this has got terribly difficult now with air travel and that sort of thing and horses moving around so much. Um, I think we will have to revise this question of, of what countries horses are bred in because you've got horses like Nasrallah who have sons all over the world. Now, he started off by being an English-bred horse, but his famous son, Bold Ruler, made his name in America. And now we've got sons of Bold Ruler here. they are sons, in fact, all over the world. Um, I really think... Uh, uh, the definition of bred in Ireland should really be the horse that is reared in Ireland because that horse, probably the mating was done in Ireland, and if he's reared there, I think he can be classed as an Irish bred, whereas the horse that is reared in France can be classed as the French bred, and the same applies to America and to England. But do you think that we get enough publicity for our horses when they win abroad, for example? I certainly don't, and I can give you an example of this. Um... When Ryan Gold won the Ark, now I think I'm speaking in 73, uh, uh, I'm certain of this, uh, we also, on that same day, we had a horse called Sparkler, who won the Prix de Moulin, who was the champion mile race of the year, and Sanford Ladd, who won the Prix Abbe, uh, that's the champion sprint race. Now, in a, a course of, of two and a half hours, we bred probably the champion sprinter, the champion miler, and the champion mile-and-a-half horse. These were all reared, born and reared in Ireland. Now, that got, to my mind, very little publicity. If that had been, an Amer if that had been in America, it would have been 
had far, far more publicity. Apart from the confusion as to what country may properly claim a horse, Irish breeding is faced with a more immediate problem, the buying up of our good mares by outside interests. It's a point that weighs heavily with breeder Jackie Ward. Well, this is one of the snags. Um, If you get a a good brood mare and you're offered a very good price, it's very hard to resist it. And this is one of the sad things that that has happened in Ireland and and in the British Isles uh, altogether, that uh, we have lost a a lot of our top-class mares, and I think that is the, the, the trouble with the breeding business at the moment. Not the stallions. I think we've got good stallions, but uh, unfortunately, uh, we haven't got uh, so many top-class mares. And why is this? Why are we in a position to hold on to our stallions, which presumably we are, and not our mares? Well, you see, the, the mare is uh, usually owned by an, in, an individual, where stallions are syndicated, and. Um, it's, it's very hard for one person to, to resist a, a very big price. Well, would it not be know? possible to syndicate mares? Why are they not owned by well, groups? Well, this, this is, a, this is a, a thing that could probably happen. Because it's obviously going to affect future breeding in Ireland if our best mares are disappearing. Uh, it's, it certainly is, but um, I think one of the things that, that is necessary uh, that uh, a, a, mayor, a, a filly should be uh, encouraged to win races in this country the, and so that we can prove her to be a good mayor too. Um, that, uh, when you have a, a filly in training over here, uh, after she's won, say, one or two races, it's very hard to place her afterwards. Why? And there's certainly no encouragement to keep her in training after she's three. And, and, and very many fillies, uh, you know, do train on uh, at four and the, the, you, then they prove themselves as being good race mares. After all, the, the name of the game is, is racing. Jackie's husband, ex-champion jockey Liam Ward, has this to add. There's very little incentive to race fillies in, in this country. Unless they are absolutely top class, then there are races either... There are very few races in Ireland for a top class filly. There are some races in England, and of course there are quite a few races in France. And, of course, in America, why they keep on racing them there is because there are plenty of races for them to, to run, or they'll even put on races for them if they're good enough and to attract the good horses. Um, here, uh, there are plenty of races if there are second or third races. There are second-class handicaps at every re- race meeting, so they, they can run twice or three times a week if they want to. But the classic or the near-classic filly. But if, if they are in between, there is nothing for them, really, apart from uh, winning their maiden race and perhaps uh, um, a winner of uh, a condition race for winners of one race, and that's about all there is for them, unless they're actually top class. Do you think this should be changed? Well, I think it, I think it needs uh, reviewing. There's no doubt about that. If they want to encourage fillies to run a little, on a little bit longer and, and uh, to, to prove themselves... Apart from the problem of our diminishing stock of good brood mares, how does our breeding industry stand generally? Many people have felt that we are in a a difficult position. Uh, The sale of horses and various things like that. My own personal opinion is that we've obviously gone through a recession, which I think most other businesses have. On the other hand, 
I think Pisces have held up remarkably well. The bad horse has been hit more than any other because what you must appreciate is people selling, people buying yearlings, have made a point of buying sound horses who will stand training. The cost of training is extremely high today with the returns um, certainly on the small side owing to various factors which would take too long to go into at this moment. But I feel that, that the good looking sound horse with a good pedigree is making just as much as he made just as much in 1974 as he made in 73. But I think it's a challenge to the breeders to be very careful a what mares they keep and b to what stallions. They've got, in other words they've got to pay more attention to it because it's just not a question of breeding a horse with four legs and expecting to get a good return. You've got to go into it and spend a great deal of time and trouble, A, doing your mating and B, producing your yearlings. If this is done, I don't think that one will lose, that the prices will come down. Captain Rogers sees a place for the small man in the big money world of the thoroughbreds, but the plums seem to fall increasingly to the very wealthy patrons who invest enormous sums in breeding and racing on an international scale. Mrs Bertram Firestone is a representative of the big battalions with horses in Ireland, America, England and France. I asked her why she and her husband were not content to operate in the United States alone. We breed horses in both countries and we found that different, uh, d different countries suit different breeds, especially, for instance, the dancers' images run well in Ireland. And then there's some of the faster horses that seem to run better in America. But your racing interests are subservient to your breeding interests. Your main thing is breeding, is it? No, they seem to go well together. We sell some from being bred, and then we race quite a few. Breeding and racing go together, and as Jackie Ward said earlier, racing is the name of the game. The governing body of racing is the turf club, and its secretary, Lord Home Patrick, told me in one succinct sentence what it has to do. The function of the Turf Club really is to uh, administer the rules of racing in Ireland. I asked him if this involved imposing discipline on the sport. Discipline is, is possibly uh, a slightly harsh sounding word to some people, um, but to administer the rules which are there uh, not only for discipline in, in the sense that it, it the sort of connotation of, of, of punishment or anything or penalties but as as a guide to keep the thing as straight and fair as we possibly can and that's really what the object of the rules is but the fact is that you do discipline the professionals in the sport the trainers uh, the jockeys and so on do you ever find resentment from these professionals that they are being uh, put on the carpet by Gifted amateurs, shall we say? Uh, at any time, one can meet a resentment over a particular case, but I'd like to think that, uh, in general, those involved in the sport realise the need for the sort of domestic domestic tribunals that exist, the stewards of meetings, and subsequently the stewards of the governing bodies. I think that. Any thinking person in the sport realises the need for this and uh, 
the stewards are always striving to get uh, continuity and consistency in findings and level of uh, disciplinary action taken. And I think it is accepted uh, in principle. The Turf Club administer the rules of racing, but how well do they do their job? I asked jockey Buster Parnell how straight is Irish racing? I should say some of the straightest racing in the world, without any shadow of doubt. You've only got to try to win the damn things to find out how straight it is, and they're bloody hard to win in this place now. The extraordinary number of horses. And you hear people about this wasn't trying, and that wasn't trying, and that, that wasn't trying. If they had to feed the brutes at about 30 quid a week, they'd find that there wasn't too many not trying. It is very straight. It is practically impossible to do for anybody to do anything with a horse these days. They have a film patrol now that you can literally see you change your mind on it a mile out. They've a set of stipendary stewards who I think are, they're very good. They're very fair. They're, they, of they, course, they pull the rug from underneath you every now and again, um, which they've pulled it under me a few times. But I dare say that I've never been wrongly convicted yet anyway. I mean, I've always had a fair hearing. And I suppose I've come out a little bit better off than I thought I was going to come out going in. I think our racing is very, very straight. I, You'll always get something happen. But then what business is there? There's banks go skint every other week and fellas are taken off and they find them in Australia with some bird and nobody says anything about that. They don't say they're all crooked. So what's the difference with, with racehorses? Just because a horse finds a bit of form after three weeks or a month that he didn't show before, the fella that rode it's crook, the trainer's a crook, the owners are crook, and the most probably didn't, don't even know themselves what happened. The same when a horse runs a bad race. I've ridden many, I've ridden hundreds of horses that I've come in and I've literally had no explanation for it at all. I couldn't even give an explanation. I've thought something, but we throw it around, and usually, as Kevin Kerr always said, wait until it runs the next time. Then we'll see and you can bet your life 99 times out of 100, you don't have to wait two days afterwards. He's got a temperature, he's coughing, he's lame, he's got a bellyache, he's got a fly in his eye, there's all sorts of things go wrong. But you can't tell on the day. It's no good, I mean, I know it's a very angry thing for a fella that's gone in and had a lot of dough on one. And all of a sudden it doesn't fire. And he looks at it and says, hello, that Barnelli's at it again. You know, core. You know, knew we shouldn't have backed that. We should have had a few bob on Georgie McGrath or Mick Kennedy or Johnny Rowe. But these things happen. They're unexplainable things. You can't, you can't tell people about them. These are things that happen exactly the same. You can ride a brilliant race on a horse, and you know in your own heart you've done everything, and you know that you've even given this horse a better ride than normally you would give a horse which happens every now and again, and you get touched off. And you come in, and there's sure to be some fella there that's not satisfied. What are you doing? Having a kip, doing this, doing that. But he's entitled to his shout. I mean, let's face it, if I go to a football match and the referee gives a free kick against my team, the first thing I call him is a blind bleep. That's, but that's my privilege. I pay to go in there. I mean, they're entitled to their shout, but our racing is pretty good. Well, now, you say that you're happy about the stipendiary stewards. 
But do you not think that the turf club is a pretty archaic kind of business, that it's a kind of old boys club for ex-military men of the British Army? And these chaps have power of virtual life and death over you. Yes, uh, all right, I'll, I'll, bear with, I'll bear with that in that way. But I've been in racing now for 25 years earning a living. I've been in racing 35 years from a child that I can first remember with my grandfather who was in the game as well. And maybe it does look a little bit like an old boys club and maybe it does look this and it does look that. But I have never yet seen those gentlemen take away anybody's livelihood without there was a very, very good reason. And I've never known them be wrong yet. A heartfelt defence of the status quo by jockey Buster Parnell. Apart from the turf club, there's the racing board, set up by the government in 1945. I asked its chairman, Senator P.W. McGrath, what it does. It collects the levy from the bookmakers, runs the tote, collects the tote uh, levy, and then administers the application of that money towards the betterment of racing, prize money, carriage of horses, improvements to race courses, uh, runs the photo finish, film patrol, dope detection, and to quote the actual wording, I think it is, any other purposes conducive to the improvement of horse racing and breeding and the development of the export trade in horses. Well, do you have enough money to do all these things? No. When you consider that there are 28 race courses on this postage stamp island of ours, You'll appreciate why the racing board doesn't have enough money for everything. Have we too many tracks? Should there not be a rationalisation of some sort? Michael O'Hare. Well, I think that there should be. There are a lot of tracks around the country that uh, don't really attract the local people. Uh, there's one track I have in mind, and for my own safety going there, I'm not going to mention this, uh, where I, I don't believe they get 50 people from the local town to go along to that particular meeting. Fair enough, there are horses trained in the district, but uh, I think it's a bit of a luxury for the racing board and indeed for racing to have to subsidise uh, these very small meetings, whereas a lot of the money that is put into such meetings could be put into big meetings and made them even more... Um, those meetings made even more attractive. Trainer Dermot Weld gives his view. We do have too many race courses in Ireland, and I think we have too many days racing. And I certainly would like to see the number of race courses reduced. I would be very much in favour of a form of centralisation. And at the same time, keeping the festival or the holiday meetings during the summer months. Um, what form could you see centralisation taking? Simply the Curra in Dublin? No, no, far from it. I could see, for example, in the west of Ireland, as has, is beginning to happen, Galway as being the main fixture. And in the south, I would like to see Mallow being developed uh, a lot more than it is at present, and some of the lesser meetings there reduced. And uh, more racing at Mallow of a better standard. Ex-champion Liam Ward... Too many tracks? In all probability, there's about 20 tracks too many. I might be exaggerating somewhat, but um, there are definitely a dozen tracks 
in the country. I'm not going to name any in particular, but there are certainly a dozen tracks which are unfit for racing, in my opinion. Certainly for flat racing. They may be all right for jumping races where they go a bit slower and what have you, but there are tracks that certainly do not uh, come up to any sort any any standard. Of, uh, when you know. when you were racing yourself, did you draw the line at any of the courses? Oh, I did. Yes, I, in the last probably in the last ten years or so that I rode, I I cut out at least six tracks which I refused to ride on. Why? In my, well, they were dangerous, in my opinion. Turns were badly made. Uh, I suppose th th these tracks were probably laid out in the last century sometime, and they, ne they never made any changes whatsoever in them, on them. Uh, if it weren't for the fact that the Jockeys Association got together a little bit and agitated somewhat, uh, they made some slight changes and tried to make turns a little bit better, but that was only on the better tracks. And um, apart from the metropolitan meetings and a couple of country meetings now, uh, in my opinion, the rest certainly leave a lot to be desired and uh, particularly in summertime when you get the ground hard and uh, you get a shower of rain on them and uh, they get slippery on the turns and uh, they're not well looked after and the rails are badly put up and they uh, generally speaking they're glorified flapper tracks trainer mcconnelly i think a lot of the tracks should be gone my personal opinion look at we, it's too hard to get to them anyway. And with labour uh, problems that they are and expenses that they are, it's absolutely ridiculous that, uh, that maybe that you're racing in Tralee today and in Down Patrick tomorrow. So there's no... It's ridiculous, that's what it is. You, you, I've seen, uh, you've seen it yourself, racing in the store today and back to Down Patrick tomorrow. And petrol 15 shillings a gallon. So how many tracks do you think we should have? I should think we should have... Uh, I would... Uh, I'm not going to mention any track in particular, but there are about seven tracks that we should have, along with the holiday tracks. We want the holiday tracks will have to stay because they're they're, they're the right time of the year and they're run properly to make money. Um, you know the five holiday tracks; well, they are good. But then there's a lot of small little gaps, and, and I, as far as they're concerned, they're all right. But what you're not caring for anybody? Three hundred pound racers, uh, worth two hundred to the winner, ten eight percent to the jockey. 8% to the trainer, 4% to the stable heads. Uh, what, what's left for the trainer? And you, you never, I don't know, how can anybody enjoy a dull day's racing? Can you? Obviously, the racing board are not unaware of this chorus of informed discontent. I asked board chairman Paddy McGrath why nothing was being done about it. Several years ago, we put in a plan to close, I think it was five race courses memory and at the request of the shall we say people in racing we put this off put off the closure since then the number of horses and the volume of betting and the increased popularity of racing has made this unnecessary I won't say it has made them paying propositions, but it has made them necessary. They're not losing the money they lost before. Yes, but you have a lot of tracks now which are glorified flapper tracks. Uh, I can say this, you can't. Uh, there are tracks around the country that some of our best jockeys won't ride at. And it strikes me that uh, while the racing fraternity obviously are against closing any of these tracks because uh, they want the prize money, uh, it's up to you to, to force the issue. 
Well, you force the issue, but still, uh, how can you go against? If you look at some some of these tracks that you refer to, uh, look at the number of runners that take place on them. Well, where are those horses going to run? I think you will find that the largest fields take place are, are in operation in these in these uh, tracks that you speak of. Despite the fact that some of the jockeys won't ride at them, we'll always find jockeys that will ride. Yes, but isn't there an argument for centralising racing? Centralising racing would be a very nice thing, I'm quite sure, but it would lose an awful lot of its charm. Racing here is the fact that it's one large group. Everybody nearly knows everybody else. If you centralise racing, uh, it may eventually come to centralise racing. But there are horses which are not in the Dublin area. If you centralise racing, it would be in Dublin, Dublin, Galway, Tralee, places like that. There are a lot of places in and out to, uh, in and out to Ireland where there are horse populations. Yes, but centralise it, say, for each province to have to build up Mallow in Munster, to build up Galway. Yes, I suppose you could do that, but uh, the argument then would say, where is the centre going to be? Because uh, in the south of Ireland, you say you build up Mallow, you have other tracks down the centre of Ireland which would turn round and down the in the south of Ireland which turn round and think they're the ones who should be Yeah, <laughs> but it strikes me that you are the deciding authority. You are the racing board and you're going to have to take the decision. Well, that would be a dictatorial decision, wouldn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, which well, is what you're there for, surely. I don't think we're there to be dictatorial. I think we're there. We have now got up uh, quite a good... Uh, uh, procedure of where we meet with the racing executives, the trainers, the bookmakers, the unions concerned in racing, and we listen to their views, and so far I haven't had from any of them the fact that we close anywhere, or um, rub out one track to the betterment of another track. No doubt a thorny problem for the racing board, but there's a widespread feeling in the trade that the board should take some action. There are a few other matters in contention, and one of them is Sunday racing. I canvassed the idea with interested parties, starting with Dermot World. I am personally in favour of Sunday racing. Um, I think Sunday racing has got to come, and I would like to see Saturday and Sunday racing and we'll say Wednesday during the week and the rest of the day is no racing. So just racing, we'll say Wednesday, one midweek race meeting and uh, Saturday and Sunday racing at possibly, we'll say, the same track. We could have two days of the curve, for example, Saturday and Sunday. I think by running two days at the same track, one could cut down on the expenses of running at uh, two different race meetings. How would this affect your labour costs? Would it affect them at all? Oh, it would, naturally. It would increase the labour costs. But presumably your men have to work seven days a week anyway. Well, not they don't work seven days a week. No, they don't. They work five and a half days a week. The weekend is on a rotor. But basis. what I mean is, that, yes, that you have to have men seven oh, days yes, a week. Oh, yes, indeed. Agreed. But I think, I know it's a problem. I know there's going to be a problem because it'll mean uh, extra money, naturally for those people involved, but I think it can be overcome. It's overcome in practically every other country in the world. Buster Parnell. Everything's gone up to such an extent that we, we just have to have the extra money now. There's no doubt about it. And the, the more we get, the better. 
And that's why I'd love to see Sunday racing come in, because I think if Sunday racing come in, came in, we would get a better crowd, a new crowd, a completely new person into racing. The chap that works and the girl that works and the lady that works in the shops in Dublin, where you're, where, let's face it, the, the majority of the people, the racing public, are Dubliners. That's where the biggest population is, or say in Limerick. But if you race on a Saturday afternoon, all the shops in Dublin are still open. They're open until half past six. Those people never get a chance to go racing. They might have Thursday afternoon off or Tuesday afternoon off. Well, they can't, there's no way they can get to a race meet in those days. But if you had a Sunday where the, gen, where the, the man's working and the wife's working, he can go out on a Sunday afternoon to the Phoenix Park or to Leopardstown and make an afternoon of it. And I think we'd get a completely new type of people into the game, which it must be for the better. The wards agree. Uh, I think it's um, uh, essential. Um, uh, I think it, it's, the, it's, it's one of the answers, uh, providing that um, the, the, the races that they put on uh, are, are good races and they have at least one top-class race which will uh, attract top-class horses and make it worthwhile for uh, owners and trainers to uh, to run their horses in. I mean, uh, it shouldn't be anything less than a £10,000 race. Well, would you see this as being held only at the feature tracks, at, say, the Metropolitan tracks and the Curra? Uh Yes. Um, I, well, I, I think that's the, the only place that you could have a, a, a race of that caliber. and. If you've got to pay people double time and, and all that sort of thing, it's got to be worthwhile. But I don't think the, the, the people employed in racing uh, are against it, so, such as the lads and things, because uh, if they think they've got the chance of looking after a horse that can, can win them a £10,000 race, they're not going to say, I'm not going to go. And it, it's definitely proved it. There, there have been point-to-points on Sundays and... Uh, even donkey derbies, I saw them flock into the Phoenix Park one Sunday to see a donkey derby, and I think the crowd there was nearly as big as the 1500 day. And uh, the, the, the public will, will definitely go, and I think they should uh, make it a family day so that uh, people can bring their children in for nothing. And uh, uh, I think then it would really be a tremendous boon to racing. And it, it, it works in, on the continent. <coughs> Liam, you know the racing stable scene very well. How much of an imposition would it be to work a seven-day week in the sense of racing seven days? I don't think it would be much of an imposition, to, but they don't necessarily have to have seven, seven days racing in a week, perhaps, uh, if they would race on Sunday, which I think they will sometime, and I think they ought to. And let's face it, the object of the exercise is to try and draw people to, to the track. And I think if they if they like uh, a day's outing on Sunday, and and a day's entertainment, and if they come racing, I think it it uh, it ought to come. Um, one could have a day off instead of Sunday, like Monday or some such thing, you know. Um, but I I think Sunday racing will come. I think it ought to come and. Uh, if it's going to attract people, I, I think it's it's a, it's a, it would be a great boom to racing. Michael O'Hare has reservations. Sunday racing is a great idea in theory, 
But I think before Sunday racing comes to Ireland that an awful lot of things will have to be done. There are a lot of problems regarding staffing, and, uh, you know, these are problems that have to be faced up to because the people who will want to work on a Sunday, well, they'd want a lot more money. But I think the most important thing is that racing on Sunday would have to be attractive to the public. There is no point in putting on ordinary, everyday racing and just transferring it to a Sunday in the hope that they're going to attract huge crowds. The crowds that are going to point to points nowadays they're no real indication of what would happen at a race meeting. People with families go along and run around the fields and what have you at the various point-to-points. This would not be permitted at a race meeting, and it's not quite as simple as all the talk would lead one to believe. Trainer Mick Connolly is not sold on the idea either. I'm quite satisfied with the racing as it is. Uh, Sunday racing. Uh, if it comes, we've only a very small population here of racegoers. We don't compare at all to England where they can have five meetings in a day. We don't compare to France where they have 100,000 population or maybe, uh, or 100 million, where maybe they have a million racegoers. We have to have about 20,000 and we're dependent on them every day. Well, if we have Saturday racing, where are they going to get the money for Sunday racing? They're, they're all working people, let them in the higher bracket or the lower bracket, they're all wage earners. And uh, if they're broke on Saturday, well, on Sunday, they've got to borrow, they've got to take out the housekeeping money. Maybe it's, it's, I'm going a bit far on that, but it's got to happen. And after about three or four Sundays, uh, the glamour will be gone off it. Remember, it will go off it. And the race, racing board will be committed. They'll be committed to paying double wages, triple wages, and they'll have to carry it on to a point where it'll cost the racing board a fortune. That's my opinion. You don't see Sunday racing as a family affair. You know at the moment around Dublin here, for example, on a Sunday, the roads are clogged with families out driving aimlessly around. Yes, they drive out and they come down to the curragh and they have picnics. But you must remember that they're free. What they do with the curragh is free. And they're out in the open, their children are kicking football. But wait till, we, uh, till they walk up to the gate to get into the enclosure and they say that we're charging five shillings for the children and it'll be 30 shillings for the yourself and a pound for your wife and when you go in you want to... F- f- it's only a bonanza for the revenue commissioners. That's all Sunday will be. Well, how would it affect you as a trainer if there was Sunday racing? I have gone very... The, as far as I would be as a trainer, I wouldn't want it. I mean, as Mind regards you, your staff now. My staff, I suppose they'll work if they're paid. If racing can afford that, they'll work if they're paid. Well, now, uh, it's a point about staff. You've asked me about staff. Um, when the summer comes, the, nearly all my lads are either soccer enthusiasts or Gaelic enthusiasts. Uh, they, they, they come on every Sunday, every second Sunday they're, all, they're off. And even the Sundays they're on, they'll get a day off and get lads to do their work of a Sunday evening to go off to a football match or a soccer match. And remember... When racing comes, they're fed up with racing as much as anyone else is. They don't want Sunday racing. And uh, the upshot will be, maybe you have four or five apprentices in your yard, and maybe uh, throughout the country there are a lot of apprentices. And those boys are going to be, I will say, next door to slaves, because they're bound and they'll be commanded to take their horses to the races. They'll be bound to Miss Martin on Sunday. They'll be just told, you're, there's racing on tomorrow and you're going. And they're bound, and the turf club, unless the turf club puts their foot down, they're going to be exploited. And somebody has got to take their part. It's all right for people to come along and say, it's got to come. Who is saying that? 
I have heard nobody saying, I've heard one or two trainers saying it, but what did they want? I'm satisfied, I'm 45 years old, I'm satisfied. Well, how many horses have you in your 41. yard? 41. Well, what about the people who have 80 horses and who want more races? Uh, they have 80 horses, but if they, had, if they had Sunday racing, if they had seven days racing, they still would want more racing. I remembered that the racing board canvassed the idea of Sunday racing some years ago. Yes, we did, and got nowhere with it. We actually put up, at that stage, um, six, seven meetings that we would hope to run as experimental reading. Meetings, uh, we did that in 1970, and it was to be run in 71, the four meetings, were to, uh, the seven meetings were to be run. But uh, agreement couldn't be reached. With whom? With the staffing of the course, the, uh, the attendance of the course, the economics worked completely in reverse. It was going to be such a loss to run. Uh, it would have been a reversal, a complete reversal of what we would hope it to be. Sunday racing, we would want to make a family day, but if it's uh, going to be so expensive to make it a family day that the executive is going to lose money, racing boards are going to lose money, there's just no point, it's be to the detriment. Men connected with racehorses are, by definition, optimists. They always feel there'll be another day. They find very little wrong with the bloodstock industry in Ireland as it is, and problems like the ones we've been talking about are to them, I suspect, pleasant subjects for discussion, but not much more. Breeding is in good shape, it's becoming more selective, which makes for better horses and better prices. The building at the moment of two massive sales rings might look like a vote of confidence in this aspect of the industry, but it's more likely a mistake on someone's part. However, at least one of these sales complexes will survive and will draw more buyers to Ireland. Racing is getting an injection of added prize money this year, which will make even bad races worth winning. We have more horses than ever in training, and though this may be a doubtful criterion, the money being gambled gets ever higher. The industry of the thoroughbred horse, it seems, is off and running and will hold its own with any in the world. There are days of glory ahead to equal or surpass the triumphs of yesterday. About four and a half furlongs to go, the whole field closely bunched together, and back behind I see Prince Regan still has a lot to do. It's Bon Conte who's up there with Chaparral, and then on Jacko as well there, Grandier as well there, Ladmoth is very prominent along the inside, and it is now Chaparral with Ladmoth along the inside, and Grandier comes next, and these are the leaders. Break the adapter, and it's Ladmoth who's taken up the running along the inside. Ledmoth is the leader for Ireland. Grandier comes second, and then Pat Pat coming flying on the near side. But racing with 100 yards to go, it's Ledmoth for Ireland. And Pat Pat is coming after him. They've got 50 yards to go, and Ledmoth, I think, has won. Ledmoth has won. Pat Pat is second. Grandier is...